Ladies and gents, beauties and binfluencers, welcome to episode 93 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, a usually twice a week show in which I jump into the cruel and crushing world of politics, academia, media, comedy, and let's be honest, a pant-soiling dystopian lunacy. My guest this week is an old friend uh, from the London comedy circuit uh, when I used to do a bit of stand-up. I first saw him at a place called TNT Comedy in Kentish Town, probably around 2012, maybe 2013-ish. But since then, he's forged a career performing stand-up across the UK and on places like Radio 4 and One Extra, all the while doubling as an MC with now four albums up on Spotify from 2008's Mental Disorder right through to last year's Grimefulness. Please welcome my guest to the show, Joe Jacobs. Woo! Thank you. Thank you, first of all, for doing just a tiny bit of research into me. I was actually astonished that you you managed to be uh, accurate. I mean, it was literally the tiniest bit of research I could squeeze in between being a dad and my day job. But yes, well, that's more than mo- that's more than most people manage. Uh, oh, really? With my music stuff, yeah. They. Yeah. What's the worst? Then have you had people like go, uh, "Welcome to the show"? Like, was uh, James J what? <laughs> well, I just feel like it, there's. I mean, I, you're speaking to me after I did a show in Bath to a bunch of people who were definitely all over 50, and I forced them to listen to hip-hop, did they get into trap, it? and grime. Really hard to say, but that's always the challenge. That's what I enjoy doing, subjecting people to uh, music against their will. Yes, yeah. Because I wasn't getting uh, an audience the traditional route. I see. Because so- UK rap is a big old slog, as you know. Yes, well, I just dipped my toe in it. I didn't do it in, to the same extent and depth that you have. Wish I did. <laughs> Why is it like I've always been fascinated uh, by acts that uh, are sort of uh, what, like, what's the word like multi hyphenate? So you would you you're not just a comedian, you're not just a rapper, you're not just a you know social mm. media content provider and and all that stuff. You dip your toe into a lot of different stuff. So what like why like where where does the uh where where is the actual passion sort of laying like do you want to be a rapper do you want to be a comedian or do you not see them as sort of distinctly different you actually quite like melding them all together well it's a good question it always the answer always changes i mean shit if i could be like a top selling amazing rapper like stormzy level jesus that would that would be nice wouldn't it christ that'd be lovely that's never gonna happen so i don't know being no, no, that's not going to happen. But being an in, being like an independent rap artist that can sell, you know, a couple hundred vinyls mm. when they drop an album, that'd be lovely. That's what I'm going for at the moment. Just a little audience that like what I do, consistently dropping stuff. That's about it, man. That's that's, uh, that's something achievable, right? Yeah, yeah. Life has life has a way of uh, remeasuring your expectations, shall we say? Yeah. No, but like I'm... also with comedy, comedy, I feel like there's a lot more longevity and potential as a comedian to do whatever it is you want. If you're pigeonholed as a rap rapper, that's going to be a bit tricky. I'm, I'm so thankful I'm able to perform on stages as a comedian and put music into it. Because if I was just relying on the rap side of it and mm. those kind of shows, I think I'd be uh, in a bit of trouble. Is it that sort of defined then and deliberate that like almost comedy is the pension plan so start off with the rap which is kind of inarguably a young person's game right it's uh youth culture fundamentally so then yeah. if rap doesn't pan out you can always kind of you know step up on the stage and <laughs> well kind of i mean it wasn't planned but yeah pretty much that's what's happening but comedy is a terrible pension plan <laughs> should actually get a real pension plan that's a proper pension plan but um this is the thing like you've picked you've picked two industries that are going through a really rough time mm. and are incredibly yeah. difficult to make it in yep. so i guess there's a risk there that even when the comedy's going well then the rap might kind of kick you in the ass so do you ever like <laughs> have a good day <laughs> have a good week where you're like yeah i do you know uh this is probably not a good answer and that it's quite uh it suggests a lot but i i had a really good proactive period during the first covid lockdown mm. i wrote i wrote my next album and it's definitely 
say it's my favorite thing I've ever done, but I say that for every album, but this one just, it just came so easy. It was so much fun to do. And uh, the new stuff I'm trying to write is actually, it's been a lot harder to do since uh, everything's come back in full force. Cause right. I just didn't have that focus that I did when everything was shut down. That anxiety that was there when uh, the world was up and running. Mm. You know what I mean? But to answer what you said about um, focusing on one or the other, I've been, I do think rap is a young man's game. And I did a little radio documentary about that very thing. And it kind of changed my opinions about it towards the end because I was very much in the camp that, like, if you don't make it quick enough, you know, you're kind of some old head and you're a bit dusty and irrelevant and that's depressing and sad, which can be true for some people. But I also think times are changing and the way the internet culture is and the way people consume things, I think there's room for everybody in all types of acts. Like my favorite rappers, a lot of them are old as fuck. Mm. You know, Danny Brown, Rock Marciano, these are old dudes. And uh, I think you can gain a lot more wisdom and you get better at your craft as you age. So if, if you have an open mind, you'll find good artists of all ages. And I think it's a shame that rap has that negative trait because like, if you look at other genres of music some of the oldest dudes going are like at the peak of their game you know mm. and i also find it quite funny to think of myself still making rap albums at like 50 odd yeah. yeah i find that that's that is quite that is pretty comedic but it's you know kind I mean? of like i suppose it's um like what you're tapping into is a similar thing to kind of like Weird Al Yankovic, right? And hear me out on this because like where you you kind of overlap a bit of like humorist or humorist uh, comedic kind of content to your rap and like inarguably there's a there's a big overlap with, uh, you know, like punchlines and the obsession over phrasing things in just the right way with comedy and rap. So if you go down the route of kind of a, a lot of the time light-hearted uplifting funny rap then you kind of carve out a niche where the age thing actually isn't that important anymore and in a similar way to people like weird al yankovic kind of like doesn't doesn't matter almost how old he gets he's always going to be able to sell out a theater because there's always going to be people who'll be like yeah i fucking love that guy that's his thing he's a bit of a piss taker you know yeah yeah it's tricky though because I, I wouldn't say i'm Obviously, Weird Al's like a genius, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm kind of, I don't do comedy rap. I might do rap that's comedic at times mm. because I feel like there's not much replay value. Excuse me. <laughs> Dusty. Bless you. Thank you. There's not much replay value in a song that's strictly played for laughs. You know, it has to be good on its own terms and then you'll have repeat listens, you know. Yeah. That's why Flight of the Concords, they made quite good music first and it was just funny so it had a bit more replay value yeah but yeah i'm still trying to figure out exactly how to kind of play it all live because i i sometimes i just do full-on rap songs or sometimes i do a stand-up set with no music and just just see how i feel about all of it but um yeah because when i when i first saw you at like tnt and like back in the you would you were sort of standing up for like king gong slots and stuff back then yeah. like back then you were just doing like it was stand up and then separate to that it was the jester jacobs rap stuff yeah, i didn't yeah, see yeah. much overlap but now you're kind of combining them a lot more right yeah no <laughs> that was because when i started doing stand up was around the time doc brown was on the apollo yeah getting big so I remember as like a fledgling open mic act seeing that and I was like, well, that's me. Fuck that, isn't it? I can't. You felt I like can't. you'd cornered your thing or. Obviously, there's room for everyone. But at that exact moment in time, me being the kind of shit comedian I was with this other stuff in my back pocket, I felt like. You know, as wrong as it probably it might have been wrong to think that, but I was like, I can't really do what this man's doing. Like, mm. it's just a bite if I'm just trying to integrate rap into stand-up in that way so instead i i just solely focused on being a good stand-up mm. like you know for all that time and got good at that and then this, the music eventually found its way in 
kind of really by mistake and just over time it just sort of happened organically and I I still haven't found the right way to like an efficient way to get music into my stand-up sets there isn't one like I'll experiment I'll write music and I'll find a chunk of a song that could work or think of an idea that could work I'll write the song record it fucking learn it then try it on stage and nine times out of ten if it doesn't pop off properly I just I won't use it again and it's it's a very arduous task but when something does work properly and it makes the cut it's great yeah it's brilliant but I, it's um i can see that because yeah. it's kind of like so my my perspective of kind of musical comedy acts and i'm sure you can correct me on this but i felt like there was either really good ones or there was really fucking abysmal ones like like at, at the sort of level that i was pitching in at was like you know, occasionally headlining like an open mic night or very occasionally getting like a semi-pro paid thing. Um, but whenever I saw like quote-unquote musical acts, it was usually some sort of, you know, divorcee holding a ukulele with a couple of like, you know, like rhyming bum with like thumb, mm. or so, you know, and you're just yeah. like, is this is this comedy? Because it feels like you're just, you're just rhyming like the occasional rude word, but they, there's there's still a return sort of comedic value in it. Like it, like the audience would enjoy it, but I always felt like it was like an easy way. Cheating. Yeah. Of getting. Well, I can tell you as a musical comedian that it certainly is cheating. Is it? 100%. Yeah. I'm yeah, glad yeah, that you said that. Cause I was thinking, here he comes. He's going to fucking, you know, spank I'm my ass for this, but man, I'm telling you now, musical comedy is cheating. If you're on a stand up stage or in a stand-up space do a musical comedy it's cheating because it engineers responses from the audience that might not otherwise be earned and you yeah. can be the most dog shit musical comic going but if you make a song and dance about tuning your guitar and like do a couple rhyming couplets with a swear word at the end as a big pun, you know they're going to applaud mm. and they and they're kind of like stage work is all about it's like a com it's a conversation with the audience you know so they get their cues from this musical act who might stop for a punchline and like when they finish the song we got to applaud you know. so yeah it's cheating yeah but that's why i'm glad that i had a bit of time to develop as a comic first and foremost so that i can know that i have stage chops and i'm you know a good stand-up comedian in my own right before mm. i bring in any other rap stuff and the way I also combat the things that we discussed about kind of being a bit lazy and hack with the, the material and the music is I don't ever try, I don't tone down the rap side of it to make it more palatable, which is often to my detriment, really, because I rap at a normal pace. I don't slow down the lyrics. I don't slow down the instrumental so that it can appease someone that might not listen to that kind of music. But the biggest issue I face is not being heard when I'm rapping because I might because we listen to rap but people who don't listen to rap it's just fucking noise to them and garbled words they don't actually have a fucking clue things are being said yeah let alone like metaphors or clever imagery or lyricism they can't even hear a fucking word that's being said so sometimes that will cost me in a live show because they won't know what the fuck's going on but um <laughs> especially if it's like a room full of like 50, yeah 50 pluses in bath right yeah but that said those are the two people that can often surprise you in this game. Like I, I learned that early on. Like you, you don't want to write off any audience because they will surprise you. It can be the younger people that are stuck up and like, oh, this is, I'm not into this. Like an older person, I've seen them get really behind what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but the main thing, yeah, I don't tone it down. I kind of keep the same cadence and speed of any other rapper. So sometimes it's it can be hard to pick up all the things I'm doing there, but hopefully if you can then it's you know more rewarding than if i was just some twat with a ukulele <laughs> singing about tinder or whatever it is <laughs> man i remember those days they were great times with the old ukulele comics yeah yeah i don't like i don't want to be too judgy or like twatty to them but that was that was my sense of it was like like what why are you sort of leaning on the ukulele when yeah. you could be writing a new thing that's at, like actually has some craft and you're writing into it in, but there's probably layers to it that i'm just unaware of because i never really bothered nah, to look there's, into there's it. no layers to the ukulele comedy there isn't there isn't <laughs> Devastating yeah, and, it, and it and it is a, you're all, you're leaning into it because it's 
uh, crutch, isn't it, to have a ukulele? Yeah. But, um, here's, here's a question for you, right? I don't know if this would be so much of an issue now because you're you're kind of remelding the musical and the comedy together into one live performance, but have you had situations where because you're Jester Jacobs, the rapper, but also Joe Jacobs, the comedian, then people find you on Spotify as the rapper, buy tickets for your comedy show, thinking that they're going to go and see this rapper and a grime mm. night, and actually then they take a seat front and centre and you're just doing jokes about fingering your asshole or something? Well, yeah. Uh, oh, have you seen, you've seen that routine, yeah? Good. <laughs> One of your best, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know if... <laughs> I think that sort of stuff has happened in all kinds of different ways, and there's really nothing I can... I can do about it like but it's no different to when I've built I've like put up a work in progress preview yeah I'm just trying to work through new material and I remember I had one of them in Angel and I had like my agent at the time came and people who knew me from rap came to see that and it was genuinely I still shudder at how much of an awful performance it was for about <laughs> 50 minutes. Like it was fucking bad, man. It's it was like the, real bad. The rarely heard negative side to like building a following. It's like, yeah, well you'll get this all from me. I, don't know sh- I can't bother to lie about, yeah. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the reality. It was a fucking shit show. And, um, and it's tough because yeah, probably for that reason, people think, "Oh yeah, Jester might he might drop some bars." No, he's going to just die on his ass for fifty minutes trying to work out a new show. And I know for a fact that a couple of the rappers that were there, they've never been to any show I've done since. Really? And my uh, agent at the time no longer represents me. It's probably that probably <laughs> contributed to it. Really, it was a good show. Yeah, but I've yeah, had that... some fucking stinkers. I mean, we can talk about bad gigs for sure. Like. I did uh, I did a Leicester Square theatre show where I, I came away from that thinking, I'm the fucking Don, Joe. Like, I've fucking nailed this shit. I filmed my own special. I've, I was, like, wheeling off all of the, uh, the cliches that people do when they haven't actually got an agent. They haven't attracted any industry support. Yeah. What they do is they say, I've done it with no industry backing. So I was saying all that stuff. I was so full of my own ego. And then I went up to the fringe and did 10 nights there and died on my ass for all 10 <laughs> i was just like yeah, this is wow this is like being force-fed fucking humble pie sandwich covered in shit just awful i, I did just yeah. the tonic up in edinburgh as well like guested on there did the exact same routine i was doing at leicester square theater smashing it and up there just died on my like got li- audibly booed joe i was like oh, wow, fuck wow. man <laughs> fuck yeah no i I know. I remember. I remember you knocking around in the, those times, and yeah, putting out your specials and everything. And I've been there. I know what it's. I know what it's like to really, really push it. Especially in the beginning, you just want to really push what you're doing, push, push it hard. Yeah. But I feel like we both learned the same lessons. I've. I think you can't rush this game. You just got to. There's no shortcuts. <laughs> you just gotta fucking do it. Yeah. Some people get some people get lucky and they get a nice little boost or a little bit of career ascension. But if they're not good, they'll get found out later down the line. It just is what it is. You just gotta fucking plow on, and it's painful. Yeah, it's not always finding games, and also, like you think you're good years later, and you still have a fucking stinker on the way. You just don't know when. <laughs> Believe yeah. me, there's always new cub. I mean, I did a show the other week. <laughs> I did a show the other week, and uh, just before the break, it's in some sort of chicken burger restaurant. That's also a comedy night. Yeah. Just before the break, someone just fucking yacked their chicken burger all over like the entire floor surrounding the whole comedy club because of COVID. The old uh, aircon circulation really spread that around the room real nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I had that. I had that to contend with. So yeah, what you're I saying is it's it's not all glamour for Jester Jacobs yet. Never. I'm <laughs> wait. I'm waiting for the fucking glamour. I'm in a little B and B in Bath right now. It's not glamorous. Yeah. It's, it's an important point, point though point that you raise yeah. about like sort of not moving too fast, too quickly. Like I always had it in my head around that time, and this this was around 2014, maybe 2015. 
Yeah. I just had it in my head. Look, I'm with my girlfriend. We're probably going to have kids in the next like two or three years. If something's going to happen, then it yeah. needs. To, I need to hurry this shit along. And if if nobody's going to give me the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z, then I'm just going to have to fucking do it myself. And I had like friends of mine saying, "I don't, I don't think you're ready. I think you sound quite mad, <laughs> Aid." And I was like, oh, I'm, "I'm just going to do it anyway." And although there were some good like slash great gigs like really fun gigs like now i look back on the footage of that leicester square show and i'm you know similar to how you probably look back on your old gigs you look at the yeah. material and you're just like oh man like why why did i think yeah. i was ready for that fuck that shit it's, but you, you say that but it's really tough to call because I, I like i said i've been there i i am amazed that i kind of escaped the open mic as i did because when when i think about those days right at the beginning mm. and how shit i was i was shit probably i would say i was shit for about seven years mm. probably and it's amazing to me how i managed to jump ship and kind of get onto semi-pro work and pro lineups eventually and like all these things because the only thing that did it was just sheer ego and envy probably not talent mm. it wasn't it was never talent that got me further because i was blagging it the whole time well you like, say that uh, but let's well, where do you where do you, let's peel the onion say, what do you all right peel 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 away so you you say it's not talent it's you know there's an element of ego to it and thinking i'm i'm gonna fucking get on the lineup yeah. at like jonglers or a I little bit of, this. exactly right exactly but talent there's a little bit of talent but everyone can have talent talent but, doesn't matter everybody has talent well yes and no like there's you know for, for people who are listening to this who have come off the back of my like political content and who are not so au fait with comedy uh there are hundreds if not thousands of super ferociously average shit open micers out there that those yeah. agents and bookers would have had to just comb through and just find someone who's not fucking terrible. And there yeah. you are there saying, I want to be on the lineup at Jonglers. I want to be on the lineup at Just The Tonic. Uh, and they watch your thing and you don't suck. And even though you personally now, in retrospect, are looking back at your old material and saying, that's a bit hack, that's a bit shit. Actually, at the time, you were making people laugh and you were able to hold a room for the 10 important minutes where those hundreds, if not thousands of other acts failed dismally mm. um so you know I, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself looking back at those those times i think you probably no, no, escaped I'm, the open I'm, mic I'm, circuit for a good reason yeah yeah I, I hear what you're saying but my point is more about like because i yeah there are some people who for whatever reason stay in that circuit yeah and don't have the, the drive or the desire to think actually i i fancy some money i want to go to this club i want to why aren't i on this bill Mm. But they book this fucking. I'm better than this person, and yeah. that's how I was in those early days. That was what was driving me, just spite, mostly. <laughs> the jokes can come later. The spite is here now. I need to be on that gig. Spite star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, um, what I mean by talent is everybody has talent. Is I'm talking about. Obviously, there's dog shit acts. Yeah, but I'm not talking about them. Mm. They're everywhere. Like. You know, when you kind of get a little bit above a dog shit act, you have a bit of stagecraft, a few jokes. You've now got the talent to at least pull the wool over the eyes of a few audiences. You know, you can just do serviceable comedy. Mm. That's talent now. Now you have the talent for comedy. It's about where you take it and what you do with it. And, you know, you, you're sure you've seen some of the most talented people, they aren't where they should be. And you have yeah. to say, why is that? And I think it's because it's not it's not a fair game it never was no it is what you make it so so then when i see you doing your special and saying no industry beckon like i can relate because if you toot your own horn at that, at that time who the fuck else is going to do it? no one yeah i mean so like my my goal around that time was just to get some sort of agent and to be able to make like I, I don't think I was under any illusion at the time that it could be some super well-paid, you know, like rock star style career. But I just thought if I could just get an agent who got me like, you know, two or three pro slots a month uh, and then I could do like, you know, reviewing the papers for a radio station is what like get a little bit freelancery about it and just have some income coming in. I could quit my office job and then I would be yeah. sort of quote unquote a, a pro comic. 
But now I look back on that period and I'm like, I was nowhere near fucking ready. <laughs> I'm glad no agent picked me up because that would have... Can you imagine having an agent when you're like, you know, four years deep with, I don't know, objectively yeah. average material and you probably I've die on your it. ass. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it. I was just talking about it recently. Like, I'm glad that in the long run that didn't happen to me, even though I was really after that. That would have been great. Yeah. Fucking meal ticket. Put me on all this dog shit. All these shows that nobody watches, please put me on them four years in. It would have been awful. You might yeah. never recover from something like that because you get yeah. touted, you get all the work. And then if you don't have the talent or the material to back it up, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to be naked. Yeah. I used to say to Ashley Hayden, uh, if he had a bad gig or he felt like, you know, the room didn't get him or, or whatever. I used to say to him, the thing is about you is that, you are like a sort of Doug Stanhope type figure. Like you're never going to be like the Spice Girls or like, you know, Phil Collins, like the, the pop star that everyone is like, oh my God, oh, it's a Spice. But what you are is a sort of slow burn that will gradually build up this sort of following of people who will really, really love you. Um, mm. I don't know how far he's got with that, but that was my <laughs> that was my sense of it at the time. It was like, you can't beat yourself up too much, certainly on the yeah. London comedy circuit. About and surely that, isn't that isn't that a better result if you build yeah. up slowly over time rather than getting a big rush at the beginning and then having to keep that consistency with whatever the fuck? Yeah, you know that's that's got to be tough if you uh, have a quick ascension rapid. I've seen it, seen it, doing this long enough to see people come and go, get hyped, mm. or people that other people wrote off and are like millionaires tours, killing it. You just can't write anyone off. That's the that's why it's quite an exciting game. Because it is unfair in good ways and bad. Mm. Hopefully I'll get some sad shit at some point and people will be furious about that. That'd be lovely. <laughs> Fucking take anything. <laughs> Doing that's the dream. Up. All the right reasons. <laughs> oh man, I'd love to sell out. Yeah. Oh man. I'll do an advert for what's the worst place to do an advert for? Bet three six five or something. Uh, that would be bad. Saudi Saudi Arabian Air, I guess, or I don't know. Yeah, I do an advert for them. Yeah, I saw a tourist advert for Saudi Arabia the other day. Did you? Yeah, they're trying to get the tourism popping. It's. I'll give I'll give it a few more years personally. Yeah, aspirational, I would say. Um, I'm doing some shows in Dubai in August for the first going to Dubai. Nice. Looking forward to that. Never go there. I would never go there voluntarily. I'd go there professionally. Yeah. Yeah, make, I'm looking forward make to the it. Money. Yeah. Um, I just want to see it for myself. I yeah. I would go there. Horrific. But I get the feeling that I like it's not my sort of natural habitat in the sense that like I like hot countries, uh, but I don't know if I would want to live in a place that is like a desert with like every building's kind of clinical and you know it's, it just mm. doesn't. It's not really my thing. Although my girlfriend's like, like her her top of the list places for us to fuck off to if everything goes really bad in the UK are places like that. It's like Singapore or Dubai, like like soulless clinical fucking like, oh, you know. Yeah, but you you make make some tax free dough, no? Well, yeah. Stay there for a couple of years and come back. I looked at Singapore a couple of years ago. I was like, could we live out here? But once you work out how much like the condo costs and you'd probably want like a maid because that's like the expat thing to do uh get a maid and then you don't have a car but you do like there's other costs and stuff plus she wouldn't be working out there because she works in property over here so to manage a property that's here over in singapore like she'd just have to palm that off so she wouldn't be earning british pounds she'd be basic so i'd be the only earner so we'd, i think we'd end up worse off we definitely wouldn't be one of these couples that's like we'll move over to singapore and we'll earn some money for three years and then come back and pay off the mortgage joe it just wouldn't happen like that i don't think yeah all right probably stay away from singapore yeah also like i i'm not saying i'm massively into drugs i haven't taken drugs for years but i like knowing that there's the option there and i feel like mm. if i went to dubai or singapore i don't like mm. that it's completely off the menu you know yeah, I know what you mean. I want it to be my I, choice. I'm, I'm scared of 
yeah, someone planting something on me before I go to the airport because you go to jail for a spliff or whatever. Yeah. I remember the DJ Groove Rider, the drum and bass guy, he got sentenced to jail because they found a bit of weed and some porn DVDs. Yeah. Um, imagine doing he... time for a porn DVD. A DVD. Yeah. DVD. And I... in... So is streaming porn illegal in these places? Because I'm going to have to... I don't know. That's a good question. That. Yeah, I mean, if you're going over there and you haven't got some sort of VPN set up, maybe mm. you need to look into that. Um, uh, let's let's talk about politics for a second. Uh, thought... Okay, how do you get a lot of politically savvy people on here? Because I'm really not. Um, yes and no. Right, Some people good. like to pretend that they're politically savvy and throw in a load yeah. of cliches into the live chat. Although we're not doing this live, so uh, that's not okay. an issue. Um, but a lot of people are just sort of interested in what's going on in the news. And um, I know you're yeah. not really a sort of political figure, but but. One of the singles that you put out, one of the videos that you put out a couple of years ago caught my eye. And it was sort of, I suppose, right at fever pitch time of um, Labour's anti-Semitism problem. Um, Clearly, it was something that was on your mind around that time. I think just from my perspective, I felt, and now now in retrospect, uh, I think I fell into that trap where... I felt like, well, if I can't see the problem, then it couldn't possibly exist, right? Like that was kind of certainly in the early months of it arising. So uh, Mm. what do I mean by that? Well, so Corbyn was Labour leader. There were suddenly all of these accusations of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. And the easiest explanation to me as a guy who has never really been party to any conversations around anti-semitism like with friends with people down the pub like i've heard every racial slur you can imagine thrown across pool tables in joke in hate everything but i could literally like hand on heart uh i never heard a slur about a jewish person and so this idea that Mm. this progressive party was somehow hiding this huge anti-semitism problem seemed far-fetched and the, the more plausible explanation to me at that time was that uh, that this was politicking, that it was they were using something that was really disgusting as a way of targeting the then Labour leader to cause disruption and, and so on. Um, you obviously have a, a different perspective and a, and a different life experience to me. And I sort of now see in, in retrospect how easy it is to fall into that bucket of people who are like, um, you know, it's it's like the the the. The parallel to it is like the equivalent of the the Tory voter who's like, what are you talking about? Petrol shortage. There's there's loads of petrol in my local petrol station. So like clearly none of the rest of you have a point. It's like that sort mm-hmm. of attitude. Um, could you could you talk us through like what your experience was of that period? And Well, first of all, I think it's really useful and positive that you kind of addressed your own maybe shortcomings in sort of seeing it. Because mm. if people did that, then I don't think it would have been the situation it was because that was really, for me, the main takeaway from it because that's why when I say I'm not like politically minded, the reason for that is, man, I change my opinion maybe every hour. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I regret the shirt on I, I put on in the morning and shit like that, you know. I would never back, I, I would never back a politician like to the end. I, I, I think that's kind of weird. Mm. like i don't like groupthink and cult-like behavior of any kind i like people to be individuals and think for themselves Mm. you know what i mean and what happened with corbyn really before i knew of the the history and the issue i didn't like what i was seeing around the cultish behavior around this man and what he was going to do and how amazing he is and what you know what's possible with him because the second you start doing that with anybody it's never going to end well is it really because people are fallible everybody's human no one is perfect i prefer people to just be honest and have integrity and if they make mistakes to just own them Mm. and be straightforward and as the corbyn thing unfolded you kind of realize he was never going to do that on this issue he was very stubborn Mm. he was sort of you know he's thinking i know best you guys are wrong jews are wrong And there were so many issues around this guy and the, the people around him, the things that they'd said and done. I don't, I mean, I don't have to list them off. There's, there's plenty out there. 
but people would be confronted with this evidence from Jewish people, from a concerned Jewish community, and they'd be like, well, no, I can't see that. No, that's not anti-Semitism. No, it's not anti-Semitic to big up an anti-Semitic mural. No, 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 you're mistaken. Mm. Uh, So it just gets to the point where you're just being shut down repeatedly by people who are claiming to be the virtuous, positive thinking, you know, progressive types. And that's where the Jewish community found themselves. That's where I found myself because I'm not, I don't recognize, I don't relate to anything the Tory government do. I'm not a Tory. Mm. I would be left-leaning, you know, I'd be all for being like a liberal lefty type person, but the people involved in the Corbyn movement, I didn't really recognize them as my kind at all. So I was just like a bit of an outsider from it. And uh, I think the song you're referring to is the Joe and the Jews one, right? About the Jewish, is it that? Uh, I thought it was called AS. Did you did you abbreviate it to AS, or did you do two of them about a similar topic? Was it the one with the different me playing different people? Yeah, filmed yeah, in an yeah. underground car park. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you're really narrowing that down. Not, not many rap videos are filmed there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the song. So the reason for that was I kind of wanted to just do like just a very basic entry level explanation of what being a British Jew at the moment is like, so that. Someone could see it and think, oh, maybe I'm a bit like this left person or a bit like this right person or I'm a little bit conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Something I will say, Aid, is if I um, wasn't Jewish, the type of person I am, I could definitely see myself being anti-Semitic and like going down conspiracy wormholes and thinking, yeah, the fucking Rothschilds, man. <laughs> these fucking guys, they control everything, of course, because I can see how these attitudes are fostered. Yeah. Because everybody likes scapegoat life is not fair it's complex and doesn't make sense it's it's natural to want to just say well if this wasn't happening maybe we'd all have a fighting chance and you know jews are seen as all-powerful tentacle-like figures that control everything it's very convenient thing to to suggest it you know but unfortunately i am a jew i'm on the inner circle and i can categorically tell you there are no tentacles. There is no conspiracy. I wish there was because it might fucking help my career. I could fucking use some. I could use some of that shit. But it doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, I suppose like, it's, it's, it's like any conspiracy theory, isn't it? Uh, like, life is chaotic, as you say. It, it's, it's unplanned, it's unpredictable and erratic and frustrating. Uh, and it can be infinitely more tempting to subscribe to this idea that someone somewhere behind the scenes is actually controlling it all and it's that's what makes it so unfair but as anyone that's ever worked for like let's say a large organization like i've worked for about three or four big FTSE 100 companies like banks broadcasters and they're run like fucking headless chickens joe like it's just fucking chaos nobody knows what's going on nobody can answer a straight question people like mouth stuff to other people that they shouldn't do around the water cooler like the idea that there would be this sort of you know multinational uh uh uh, conspiracy where this person uh conspires with this other group of people here to keep you in your place like it's just i mean it's kind of fanciful (laughs) it's ridiculous ridiculous. and that's that's fair enough like you want to believe that shit that's all good i don't care i watch dumb stuff on youtube it's cool but the, the the issue becomes when it sort of translates to real world stuff like world thing mm. just seems countless times and there's so many explanations and examples i could give you of um just anti-semitism of experience like it didn't start with the corbyn era but it's certainly ramped up at that time to levels never seen in my lifetime yeah never in my lifetime you know i'm walking down I lived in Finsbury Park at the time. I'm walking past Tesco's and there's like a socialist stand with all this, all these lits and Corbyn stuff. And there's like a swastika on a star of David talking about Zionism. And I posted it up to Twitter and all these Corbyn people were saying like, are you trying to suggest Jeremy Corbyn is uh, involved in this or he should put, no, I'm trying to suggest there's a fucking swastika in front of Tesco's and that's not okay. Stop trying to uh, defend your guy. And just be human and say, actually, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm sorry you saw that. That, that can't be pleasant. But that, there was you know, that, and then more stuff happened. I'm 
that I experienced anti-Semitism like it's happened fairly recently. Mm. The first time, like I was doing a show and uh, I don't fucking know where I was, but someone, when I mentioned Jewish stuff, someone like in the front row did a Nazi salute, like kind of, he was just fucking around, like mm. whatever. Like, nah. And uh, that's fine. And then I carried on whatever. And then after the show, the venue owner came over to me and he's like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? Would you like me to handle this, take care of this person? I was like, no, I don't give a fuck. But that was so surprising to me because it was the first time it's ever happened in like fucking 12 years of doing this. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, and it, then you start getting uh, frustrated because it's like if progressive people are so interested in like diversity and like making every voice count and listening and you know, putting platforms for other people and all that shit. And what about the Jewish community? It's arguably one of the tiniest, most uh, at-risk communities in history. Mm. If history is anything to go by. So why are those voices discounted? Which is and then you realize it's all fucking, the hypocrisy of it is ridiculous. But it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's like the, when we talk about racism and oppression, uh, typically we're thinking of, and, and again, hear me out on this. Typically, we're thinking of minorities who are living on the breadline or who have, uh, uh, like, I don't know, excrement smeared on the side of their house. Um, it's it's more of a leap, I think, for some people to consider the Jewish community as racially oppressed or racially attacked yeah. because yeah. of this idea that all Jews are super well off. They're running businesses. Yeah, and so we're a homogenous group, and and it's yeah. it's another layer to that sort of to, to anti-Semitism and to racism more broadly. Because if you quite rightly say, "Well, hang on a second, we're being targeted, we're made, we're being made to feel uncomfortable in our own communities," a lot of people would say, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like, you run doctors, you run this. What have you got to complain about? You seem to be doing all right, you know." And mm. and it's it's a sort of uh, weird like inversion of yeah, yeah, yeah. attacking, isn't it? It's a bizarre one because we're simultaneously seen to have all the privilege and then no privilege, you know, like a right wing Nazi proper Nazi thinks that Jewish people are like biologically genetically flawed, you know, and then mm. the new lefty type people, they see Jews as top of the privilege chain, you know, so it's the literally both simultaneously mm. and it's uh, not helpful. I think the issue is really, I think a lot of race, discourse i feel like it's um a bit of a red herring because i think the issue especially i'd say in britain it's always class mm. class is the issue that's where the real division and big problems are developing it's not really about race i've never i get i have friends of all different kinds of races we've always got and never been an issue with that kind of thing obviously it's different around the country but poverty and people making more money and more money and other people having less and less. That always seems to be the case. That's the main thing that people are avoiding. Like if you look at the comedy industry, for example, diversity is being, uh, you know, different voices and diverse opinions. It's kind of being pushed, but as always, it's kind of a very surface area thing. Cause like the real diversity of opinion and thought doesn't seem to be changing. Like not hearing from, not that I, want to but like you know like the fucking mad right wing lot it's not they're not really seen like the left leaning on and uh working class voices you get a few token acts that are like working class but it's nowhere near enough like there's a huge disparity of opinions uh, in that area would you not agree yeah absolutely and and you you sort of and i wouldn't my... i wouldn't care i wouldn't care about that i don't care about a lack of diverse voices or a lack of working class. I wouldn't care about it if they weren't making out that they're trying to, you know, address it when they're obviously not. Yeah. So you, you bring my attention to a, a Leo curse tweet or maybe, a, maybe I'm thinking of a quote from his podcast or something, but I remember him saying in some format, some medium, uh, I think he was talking about the BBC and he was hmm. saying, that the BBC, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was saying that the BBC need to stop patting themselves on the back 
for diversity when actually what they're doing is hiring people from yes from different races and ethnic backgrounds but actually these people tend to still come up the sort of oxbridge route and really if we're talking about diversity and rebalancing things and getting people from different walks of life to share their life experiences you need to get somebody from a council estate in glasgow or you need to get somebody from a mobile home park in wales and and we never actually see that actually absolutely absolutely right yeah is like what what we tend to get is as you say a, a kind of token voice every now and then you might get a um well, I suppose Russell well, Brand's a good example of, you know, stratospheric stardom. But the, the thing to remember is the issue here is like who is selecting these token voices? Mm. Who is the person that is deciding, all right, well, look, we need some diverse voices some diverse type of people. Let's have this person, this person, this person, this person. And th- who is that person that's made those decisions? Because I'll tell you now, I'm about 90% sure it's some old white dude that's been in television for about 40 years or been booking whatever for 40 odd years. Okay. So so where's the diversity in that really? That's just another white dude, just a bit hidden in the background. Here's here's a weird question for you. He's the tastemaker now. It's bullshit. How would you feel if you were on a Radio 4 panel show, you were being booked for it, and then just when they were about to send through the confirmation to you, they gave you a call and they were like, actually we've spoken to diversity department or whatever. And we're going to book in this person from this, this ethnic background, these three women and this guy who's of this genetic makeup or, or is disabled or is working class, whatever. And you were, you were about to get national fame and you know, all the trimmings that comes with it. But then you see somebody actually took your spot who, you know, is not at the same level as you are. How Mm. like that's a, that's an awkward thing to then manage. And that's the thing that that, like the right wing tabloids uh, and GB news dot always tap into. It's like, well, how like actually shouldn't it be about booking the best comedian? Like, would you let that slide? Would you be like, yeah, I get it. Well, that's happened to me. Has it? (laughs) Yeah. That's bit, I, let me find an email for you, and I'll show you something. But to answer your question, what, how would it would it bother me? No, it wouldn't really bother me because I'm in a game where I get to tit about on stage for a living. I don't feel like I'm entitled to anything. I don't feel like I have mm-hmm. I ever earned anything or I deserve X. If I don't get it, nine times out of ten, it's other people making these decisions for things that they run. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I remember when. What's his name? Uh, Constantin Kissin with his thing that he had to sign about doing the gig, like the behavioral code. I never really thought that that was such a big deal because if you do a gig of any kind, whether you know it or not, you're agreeing to some sort of code of conduct. You know, don't be racist. Don't offend X. Try Mm. not to do material about this. Like as an act, if you're halfway decent, you're going to be addressing an audience and thinking about how to approach each show individually on its own terms. So I don't have an issue with that. And as far as like being sidelined for a different voice or whatever, that's really, it's not my decision. It's not really not on me. I might be disappointed about it. Sure. But um, yeah, it's just the way it is. And I don't think uh, kicking off about it will make much difference. Let me try and find, oh, I hope I can find this for you. Oh, fuck. I think that's Gosh. probably the uh, the right attitude to have, and it's it's yeah. It's, 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 right, I've, I've got a video out at the moment about. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I've got sure. a video about um, being misgendered. I misgender someone at a show, and then someone else calls me racist, and I'm talking about that and apologising at, at length for all my indiscretions. And the joke for me is, I'm just a man just apologising repeatedly, and I called it. Uh, comedy in 2022 and all the comments not all of them sorry a bunch of them are kind of like i'll never apologize if you misgender they're just attention seeking i don't feel like that at all if i if i've offended someone or upset someone i'm going to apologize i don't want you to feel awful and if you're a non-binary person or transitioning you know you've been dealing with a lot of shit that i couldn't understand your whole life i don't want to add to it why would i make you feel worse or why would i want to offend you it's not really in my nature i'm not trying to be a, a dick and um, also, trans people and non-binary people, the whole thing is about passing. So if you are misgendered, it's actually quite a deep-seated, mm. painful experience, you know. So I'm not here to try and be a dick to anybody. Yeah. All right, hang on. Let me see. Oh, God, I think I found it for you. Hang on. There it is. Uh, so I was booked for a show. 
but for a show, I won't name the show. Yeah, you don't need to name names. I mean, you can really if you would. Like, if you want to, Joe, it's fine. You can you can do that. I won't stop you. I'm building it up now, but you did ask for a, this is a specific example of this exact thing happening, and this is this was in 2019. So if um, yeah, if fuck's sake, let's find it. This is really not good for a live podcast, is it? Sorry, <laughs> so you're leaving Just me with dead air here. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Oh, no, fuck, I found it. Here it is. Okay. Hi, Joseph. Apologies in advance for this. So everything was booked. Right. We're ready to do it. Oh, okay. Hi, Joseph. Apologies in advance for this. I've had some further information from the venue. They are actually inclusionist space and specifically want quite a visually diverse lineup for this event. Long story short, they think it's too white. I've never been in this situation before, but if you're available to play on Sunday, April 7th instead... Same terms and agreement as before. It allows me to shift some things around to mollify them on this very bizarre request. So that says to me a lot of things. First of all, you can tell from the tone of this person. He thinks it's ridiculous and a load of bullshit. He's called, you know, a visually diverse lineup. Yeah. So it's literally just about the visuals and aesthetically we're seen to be doing the right thing. Yeah. That's very telling. You know, it's very telling that, that that's what they're saying here because that's what I seem to see across the circuit and what we were discussing about. It's a very surface-level diversity, surface-level diversity of opinions. It's not – I feel like it lacks a lot of authenticity. Yeah. Because of, you have to see who are the people deciding this and then you'll find out what you need to know. Because, right, I'm involved in all these different areas like – hip-hop comedy blah, blah blah like and if you want something authentic you find the true diversity there yeah because they're just working on the craft man you know what i mean yeah it's not uh how, artificial how fucked is it that you could have screen grabbed that email mm. sent it to gb news yeah. and <laughs> and the daily express or something and you're your profile, your Twitter followers, like how depressing is it that just the screen grab of that probably would have blown you into a different tier of like, yeah, you know, it is, it's, it's interesting, but like, it, it's not something I really want to be about. No, I like I've... to skirt, I skirt the edge on, on these kind of like, I played comedy unleashed a couple of times and even doing that a couple of times, it's amazing how it can shift people's perception of you and what you're about. Because yeah. I'm not really like a pro free speech fucking offend everybody. I'm not really like that. But also, I'm not into like virtuous pretending to be seen to say and do the right things. I'm not into that either. I'm just yeah. a normal person trying to navigate a fucking ridiculous world. That's all I am. And I think there's plenty of humor and mileage in that. I think that's enough. Yeah. I don't I don't need to be like saying, Oh, look, they're trying to keep down the white man again, motherfuckers, just look at this. Yeah. Like, who cares? There'll be plenty more of that happening. It's but, funny though, isn't it? Because it's like there's there's an attraction there for a lot of acts. And again, like I'm not gonna name names, but we we know people in, in the industry who have built a profile around that kind of personality, around that tabloid frenzy of like mm. look i'm a victim now i've been oppressed look what yeah. they said to me on this email they didn't book me because of my color or my background and and anyway now come and subscribe to my youtube and chip into my patreon and hear about how i'm the uh the last surviving right-wing comedian etc etc mm. um and i think maybe there's you know it is sort of being it's being seduced in a way, isn't it? It's like, ah, if I follow this, it like this is yeah. getting me loads of attention. So if I just keep riding this train, maybe something big will happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what the people that uh, champion do as well, like the diverse voices. They're all doing the same thing and playing the same game, just on a different side, mm. right? Yeah, I used to sort of marvel at, um, at some of the acts that I used to gig with who went on Twitter got super political and i realize i'm now kind of describing myself but they went on twitter they got super political and then the retweets and faves that they got from their political content i felt like they then mistook that for support for their comedy career so mm. they would they'd get like 10,000 15,000 followers and they'd be like you know cuz 
every, every second or third tweet would be like anti-racism this uh mm. guardian that huff post this and that would attract the following and then they would say by the way i'm appearing at like i don't know backyard comedy this week at, like like where the fuck is everyone i thought you all loved my stuff no no they're just retweeting your guardian articles and shit like yeah though that's the that's something i can see with this newly released clip of mine like i can get attention for something that's seen as uh controversial or contrarian even though that wasn't my intention yeah and it gets a lot of traction but i feel like i don't really want these people to like my shit some of the people that are kind of like never apologized never back down yeah fuck these snowflakes i don't really i don't really want you to come to my show if that's what you actually believe like because you seem a bit disturbed if if something like that bothers you so much you know yeah well i think it's so it's very seductive is what i'm saying to kind of have instant reactions and that's why that's probably the other reason why i wouldn't have shared that email because it's like what am i what am i trying to do out of this really it's because yeah. i want it's my own ego i think oh well this is going to get me fucking seen this is going to get me some attention finally i'll fucking do it however i can and this will be it because i don't there's nothing worse man than actually feeling like a victim I don't like to feel like a victim. That's why I kind of, the stuff with the Jewish shit, I never really wanted to be involved in all that stuff. It's not pleasant. Yeah. I don't like feeling like that, but I don't really like hypocrisy either. So I had to call out idiots when I see them and then sort of leave it. Yeah. And that's really, that's really what I want to do. That's all I want to do as a comedian. I never wanted to fucking get on a, what's the, on a pedestal. You know, and like tell people you should do this. You need to be more like that. I never do that. Never tell anyone how to live ever. Yeah. Do what you want. Just try not to be a cunt. <laughs> That's so hard. Apparently, for Apparently. for a lot of folks, um, I think it's sort of it, you, you're making the right move. Ultimately, I think it's uh, you know if if actually what you're after is to get really good at the craft, as it were, and you actually really love stand up and performing and writing and then going back over your what you wrote yesterday and writing into it and creating mm. something that you think that would be really not just funny but engaging or thought provoked like if you're actually wrapped up in the creativity of it then it kind of makes no sense to go chasing after um either the far left sort of social justice warrior stuff or the far right oppressed um yeah uh, right-wing comedian angle because actually what you would end up doing is attracting a following as it sounds like you kind of opened up the risk to you'd attract mm. the following of people who would come to your show and expect that sort of shit like what, one of the reasons i i love doing a podcast about the topics that i i cover in it whether it is politics or comedy or tech or uh, or, or whatever is that when i do bump into people who have listened to it or watched it invariably they're actually pretty pretty sweet like i like my default reaction is always this person approaching me is about to punch me in the face because they think i'm a twat like i always assume that's the baseline and then when they say like oh what's your thing on tiktok or i you know i listen to your podcast i like like it's like oh cool okay and because i'm talking about the stuff that i actually want to talk about then i kind of know that they're not i mean they might still be a twat but like they, it's yet yeah. to happen yet and isn't that nice? Isn't that a beautiful yeah. thing? I, that's what I'm after, man. That when when people like what I do, and they just like because I'm trying to believe in a world where there are just people like me that are normal and quite safe. Bit skeptic about certain things. Try not to be assholes to everyone. Yeah, they got to be out there, right? I don't need to sort of get on a I think high most... horse and fucking belittle and shout down other people to get an audience. Yeah. I don't think that would be the right audience for me. It's not really, not really my style, man. Well, like I say, like it's better that you're actually rooted in comedic devices and material yeah. and concepts uh, and then the following that you do build, whether it is grime or comedy or the overlap in between, is invariably going to be the sort of audience you're actually going to enjoy engaging with. So, yeah. um Anyway. It's funny, like, I still sometimes get people, like, come up to me, because I do so many different weird things. Sometimes someone might come over to me that likes a really niche thing I'm involved in, like Moose Funk Squad, that little group I'm in with my mates. That's a rap group I do. All right. So someone comes over to me and they'll say, Moose. And I'll be like, <laughs> okay, so you listen to Moose. 
they don't know they're not aware that I'm like a stand-up comic or a solo artist they just know me as some twat that talks about drinking on a fucking moose track do anyway. you uh do you know when somebody starts walking up to you do you know if they know you like can, have you got an instinct like this person knows me from rap or this person knows me from comedy is there like a difference well i mean it, it doesn't really happen that often for me to do that but uh i mean you can tell a rap fan really because <laughs> they look like a rap fan yeah stink of skunk usually <laughs> that would do it uh okay let's do some quick fire questions joe and then okay. um i'm gonna just say thanks for for joining me uh for this afternoon and um so let's, pleasure let's get to it and then uh, i'll give some links out to people where they can find your stuff so here we go quick fire questions number one what's the last thing you did that you really wish you didn't uh had a really spicy meal for lunch today not today the other oh. Okay, it's just like, yeah, I, I, I went it. to this place in Hounslow called Taste of Pakistan. Yeah. Because it's had like the most incredible reviews, but it's uh, apparently the rudest staff imaginable and just chaos. And it was all of those things, but the food was incredible. But I did suffer. Okay. So anyone listening to this, if you'd like to tag them underneath, I'm sure they'd be uh, very thankful for the publicity. Um, who would you like to play you in a movie? Um... me <laughs> no, i don't know i don't know how are you supposed to answer that but is it your favorite actor someone that looks like you like a strange choice i guess it's somebody maybe dead yeah somebody you think looks like you well people have said i look a bit like uh like fucking guy kit harrington from game of thrones oh yeah I'll take. i can see that yeah that's not bad i think i look like uh ryan gosling sure sure yeah you know what i mean i think we have a similar aesthetic so i'd say ryan gosling should play me because then you know we just look so similar yeah yeah i mean like i get stopped ryan all gosling. the time in the high street people think i'm him it's getting really annoying now actually mm. um okay what's on your playlist right now if you pulled out your phone oh, i hope it's nothing embarrassing you know what i think it... <laughs> it's like I, actually... <laughs> I made a good 80s playlist but i'll tell you something i have been listening to one of my something you might not know about me is I really love '90s pop music. No shit. Love the '90s pop music. So I saw Crash Test Dummies recently. One of my favorite bands from the '90s. They did like my favorite album came out in '93, same time as Wu Tang. God yeah. shuffled his feet. You know Crash Test Dummies. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Saw them for the first time in 25 years since their album came out. Went to drive and see them in Nottingham. Incredible show. Loved it. Really. And I've just heard today that. The Lightning Seeds are releasing a new album in October. They put out a new single, and I love the Lightning Seeds. You know the Lightning Seeds? Yeah. I, like when, when you said 90s pop, I assumed you meant like literally 90s pop, you know, a little bit of Britney, Spice Girls, you know, that sort of well, vibe. But actually, it's like 90s indie almost, right? Yeah, I guess so. But these guys like Lightning Seeds in the 90s, they were dominating pop charts, you know, Pure and Simple, Three Lions, uh, Things could be marvelous, all that shit. They were everywhere in the nineties, right? Yeah. And I love it. Anything that makes me feel like a teenager, I like. Okay. So yeah, I was listening to the new Lightning Seed single, and it's very happy, upbeat. It's great. Big up Ian Brody. What is an episode of your life that you would donate to a DVD entitled "Times Joe Jacobs Was a Massive Bellend"? <sighs> Oh, that's a bit of a box set you're asking. <laughs> Times I was a bellend. Oh, man. Jesus. Getting me going through the archives now, man. Oh, Times I was a bellend. I'm trying to think. Um, well, like, I've realized a lot of my time in the, in the past, I've, I thought I've only come to this realization in the last couple of years, like through a bit of therapy and self-reflection, correct medication. I've realized Ed, that I give off terrible vibes <laughs> and I thought I gave off great vibes. I thought I was like really positive life and soul of the party. Everyone wants to hang out with me. Hilarious. But I've realized that the opposite is true. And I think, now in hindsight i've looked back on interactions with people and situations i've been in and because i've been giving out terrible vibes i've created terrible vibes and all of these things shame me to this day i don't know if that answers the question but 
that's pretty you, uh yeah it's quite crestfallen do you know what i mean though yeah, yeah kind of i mean a, they're broad words you wanted like, a, they're like you wanted a funny response but like, like terrible too. vibes and then good vibes are quite broad but yeah. like when you say you give out terrible vibes do you mean like i mean my face right i guess my face gives out you know like don't approach me like you know, I'm not as approachable like as I thought. Burst fire hydrant of awfulness. You know, I just you think. I guess what I'm getting for is a, like I thought I had a lot of charisma. Right but now I'm realizing I don't have too much charisma. Not as certainly not as much as I thought I did. And charisma is key in this game. Without charisma, I was about to say at least you're not pursuing two different industries that are entirely reliant on your charisma. Uh, no. <laughs> what's your favorite swear word? Last one. Favorite swear word, uh, douchebag. Wow, it's quite mild. Cunt. There we go. Okay. I uh, feel like I feel like I need one more question because I answered the uh, DVD I have one. Got, so, I've got so one more. Badly. Yeah. Uh, okay. You've been doing rap for many, many years. I did rap for a little bit. Uh, I can still think of some terrible rhyming couplets that I threw together where I'm, I'm like, I think that should have made it into the... And now I'm like, actually, no, that was the right decision. I'm glad that I didn't put that into anything. What's your yeah. worst rhyming couplet? Worst rhyming couplet? I mean, I could just go back in time to when I was a garage MC. They're all the worst. Because <laughs> I was in a crew with my friends. We were like 12. And we called ourselves the Death Row Crew. Of course. And it may surprise you to know that, that none of us were ever like incarcerated. That is shocking. Yeah. And I used to say things like, uh, oh, yeah, I was the back then I was known as the MC Dew, like morning Dew, because I'm a Jew. Yeah. D-E-W. So one of my opening lyrics was MC Dew, the D-E-W, remember the name and the crew won't trouble you. Oh. <laughs> I like the, like the syllable rhyming, though. It's, it's strong. It's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could but see then... those green shoots of musical talent shining through for sure. Uh, maybe. Um. Joe Jacobs, this has been lots of fun, mate. Um, it's been really good to catch up again. Um, guys who have been listening to this, thank you so much. Um, I'll be back next Wednesday for the solo show. And then next Friday night, I'll have a guest once again. Don't forget, you can always grab the episodes first on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Uh, and then they go on to Spotify and Apple Podcasts three days later. Uh, there's also a political blog that comes out on Sunday mornings. And all of those blogs and all of the historic episodes of the podcast are up on the Funk 27 website. Thanks again to my guest this time, Joe Jacobs. Give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram and definitely go check out Grimefulness on Spotify. Uh, all of his other content is at campsite.bio slash Jester Jacobs. Thank you once again, Joe. Thank you, man. This has been a pleasure. Cheers. You've got, lo- got a lovely radio voice, too. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've been practicing, so it's, uh, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm.